Bandwidth for the Weird Things podcast provided by Wired Tree. For sites of any size and world-class customer service, head on over to wiredtree.com. Welcome to After Things. I'm Andrew Main, joined by Brian Brushwood. Hello, you beautiful citizens. And Justin Robert Young. Yeah, what's up? <laughs> All right, enough of that chatter, guys. <laughs> We're going to move right into some questions. This is from Andy with a question about kickstarting a project. Hey, guys, my name's Andy, and I have a couple of questions about crowdfunding in general for guys named Andy. I'm starting <laughs> I'm starting to Kickstarter soon to raise money for my Kickstarter project by me, Andy, to cover the I'm kidding. Okay, to cover the professional editing costs of a science fiction novel that I'm currently writing. I listened to some of the past AT podcasts about crowdfunding, which was really helpful. Thanks, guys. But still had a few questions I thought you guys may be able to shed some light on. Number one, what, aside from rewards, is the most appealing part of a crowdfunding project involving some kind of art or literature? A friend told me that it's often the artwork that really draws people in. Another thought that perhaps the potential backer's perception of the author is most important. What do you guys think? Two, when it comes to rewards, what is a good reward? What are the people looking for? Personally, I love limited edition stuff, so that's what I was planning to offer. I have shirts and an autographed hardcover, among other things, planned. I think that they're reasonably priced, but not so expensive that it destroys the chance of success, but also something that a potential backer can feel good about and enjoy. Is this a reasonable idea for a type of award? What do you guys think? Thanks a lot. I really hope to hear from you guys on After Things. And Andrew, thanks for following me back on Twitter. Absolutely. So, uh, uh, all right. Uh, I mean, I'll, I'll I'll take this. All right. I would ask Andy what he wants to do larger picture with his writing. Because if you want to be a professional writer, you want to do a lot of different books or get paid for them or develop a following for your writing, I would think that doing a Kickstarter would be a terrible idea. And and I don't mean to – that's going to obviously sound very, very harsh. But what you are going to immediately fall into when you get into the realities of a Kickstarter is figuring out that you're buying – a lot of stuff to put out a book that you could effectively put out for free. Now, yes, you are going to not have all the excitement that comes along with a Kickstarter, but you don't necessarily need the the money that you're going to get from it. And if what you are offering are limited edition or your inclination is to offer limited edition stuff up to and including T-shirts and hardcovers, you're going to find out that there's a lot of overhead for that and that the price breaks for it are not going to be particularly beneficial for what you want to do. If this, I don't know what stage you are at as an author. So this will be affected by whether or not you already have a following where I think things like this, you know, you can frame it in a way where there's a, uh, a, a higher success percentage, but if you are more at the beginning of your career and you are finding an audience, then my suggestion for you would be write the book, get the art, find other places to do it, but like just keep building your 
your your audience, your fan base, because Kickstarter in in some areas like uh, like tabletop and stuff like that, it is a great place to get noticed. It's not a great place to get noticed for for uh, uh, fiction writing. Uh, you know, it's a better place that you can get your fans and community excited about something big and awesome. But either way, even if you were just like taking advantage of a teaming audience, do not think of a Kickstarter until you're done with the book. You're yeah. finishing well, I, the book. I, I, his, his question or the way it was phrased was he wants to raise uh, money to do professional editing. So that that in theory is the idea that he, he that, that, that ostensibly from there he wants to raise money to get editing. I would say that the amount of money you're going to need to get it to professionally edited, you know, you could do five six hundred dollars somewhere in the neighborhood of that. The amount of effort that you're going to need to make a successful Kickstarter is going to be greater than if you literally said, "Hey, I'm going to go drive Uber for a couple of weeks, spare time to make the money to pay for an editor." You're it's that. Why, why do you want to put in, you know, 200 hours, you know, which could take, I mean, it could literally could take, it could take you two or three weeks of, you know, solid work of doing this affiliate sort of stuff to make 600 bucks. You know, I don't know what your situation is or whatever, but if you're saying, Hey, the money I need to get professionally edited, and I don't know where, who you're, where you're getting quotes from or either, whatever. There's a lot of services out there that offer stuff that I think is just kind of BS that take advantage of people's dreams and stuff. They get people to put stuff on a credit card to pay for that. And it's nonsense. But I would say if you're looking at like 600 bucks or so to get it professionally edited, and I don't know if you need a developmental edit or prover edit or whatever, this is not the way to do it. This is not the way to do it because if we pointed out Kickstarters where you say, Hey, I have a bunch of fans. Hey guys, I'm doing this thing. Or Hey, I have this amazing product that I know the tech comp tech blogs and other stuff and Kickstarter is going to love and people are going to see this thing and want to do it. It is really, 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 I don't know of a single successful person who's launched, you know, uh, you know, something on Kickstarter that didn't have a fan base already to plug into that. And I've even seen successful people try to jump in with like a fan base from one place to try to get it financed. And the amount of time and energy they put into it's not worth it. I would strongly suggest. Oh, I got I got I got something to share with you guys, which um, I would suggest uh, you guys you take a look at things like you know just the Saturday uh, when we sh we should point out our buddy Tom Merritt launched his book uh, I think Pilot X, mm -hmm. and he you know he's doing his through Ink Shares right yeah Ink Shares and so I would say take a look at that. Um, I would say that if you want to, too, and by the way, um, our buddy J.F. Dubow, who had, who, had, who had come, you know, had asked us questions and stuff, you know, about writing, and we gave him our two cents worth. And then as he's, you know, let me let me read to this, okay? This summer, Ink Shares will j debut J.F. Dubow's gripping horror novel, A God in the Shed, a brilliant melange of suspense and supernatural. The chilling thriller should appeal to true detective fans as well as readers who enjoy Stephen King, Neil Gaiman, Clyde Barker. Pretty high praise. Well, before it was even completed last fall, the partial manuscript set off a bidding war for the TV rights, culminating in a deal with Skydance. Academy Award winner Akiva Goldsman will be helming the adaptation. Okay? Ow. This is our buddy JF. Okay? Yeah. This is JF. JF was laughingly coming to us for advice. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and he's now got a TV project deal, advanced bidding, everything on this novel that he wrote. And I remember him talking about this. So and he started with ink shares. You know, he started from ink shares to launch his thing. And I, I'm not I don't I don't know. 
I've here's is what I know about ink shares. Okay. They send us books. They're super, super. I would say they're doing an amazing job of promoting their authors, of getting people to read and take a look at stuff. Um, I know JF, you know, JF has launched, you know, did a launch from a book there. It helped him a lot. So my, my suggestion is, I don't know that that is the answer, but I would certainly say, I think that's a better answer than trying to do a Kickstarter because you're like, Hey guys, you've never read my books before. And I want to raise money to, to get a book edited so you can find out if I'm any good or not. I don't think that'll work. Well, I don't think that, be wrong, but that doesn't seem like the best approach. That, that is the thing that people don't. Uh, hey, uh, uh, many people seem to misperceive, and I would be interested to hear about Justin's exception to the rule. But in general, uh, a a crowdfunding campaign is always a harvest, which means you have to have planted the seeds, you have to have to built the goodwill, you have to have have the the fans who want more of your thing. Um, Unless it's like a killer product, that's the exception that the, the tech blogs will jump onto and go and promote the hell out of you. C- correct. If you have the right idea, then everyone will say like, well, I want that thing to exist or at least an attempt to make that thing. Uh, and then they'll go for it. But, but uh, even then, man, you need propulsion to get out of the gravity well of, of everything on Kickstarter. Like once you kind of get into top lists and get into staff picks and everything, like that's how blogs find you. That's how you get all this wild press, you know, and then once one covers you, then, then they all cover you. I, I would say the exception is, I mean, for me in tabletop games, you know, watching that scene, the, the two places that people buy tabletop games are Kickstarter and Amazon. That's where people buy games now in, in two, in 2017. So if you've got a good game, there are people that are watching those charts that want to buy stuff because it is just a hot place for it. So reputation matters kind of a little less just because there is a standing amount of interest. But even then, did it help that we launched the contender and we're going to launch action news this summer with an audience behind it? (laughs) Yes, it is a tremendous help. It is a huge way to cut through the clutter that we're going to be able and having successfully run a Kickstarter before where now we can leverage that entire audience that's already on that platform. So ink shares is really what you want. Like what, what you are, what you are thinking about is I want a place where people might find me and continue to, to create my career in writing. Uh, number one, the first question I would ask you is, are you ready to take a big bet? I E have you written stuff before? Because Man, there is no curse that I would wish on friend or enemy that is to have a success with something that you are not ready for in terms of your talent and production. Like, that is the most damning thing you could have. You would rather write four or five things that you look back on and say, man, I learned a lot. I'm going to come back with this next uh, book and I'm going to know how to get out of these situations. I'm going to learn how to write better, faster. You know, uh, uh, you know, I'm the, 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 it's going to be tighter. I'm going to edit better. I'm going to have a better cover. You know, like there is a lot that, I mean, Andrew from Grendel's shadow to even let's say, uh, 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 the first Jessica Blackwood novel, which at that point you had already gotten, published in book deals and agents and, and TV and movie stuff from like you, they, it was, it was light years, you know, the, the, the difference of, of what you'd learned from the first thing that you put out on, on Amazon. Oh right? yeah. 
I, I mean, my path was, and I've said this over and over again, is write, read a book on writing, write, read a book on writing. Then it became into, once I started getting published, was write, read a book on writing, get a book back edited from, you know, with notes from an editor, study that, understand, you know, how to improve my craft. And so, you know, I, I went from, in, you know, three years time from being terrified of writing a novel to, you know, being thriller, thriller award shortlisted because of a, the, the path of trying to improve and get better at doing that. And also understanding sometimes I'll write great books. Sometimes my books may not, as long as I have a patent, sometimes they won't be great. Sometimes I'll sort of forget things or whatever, or try things that maybe not work as well. But the key is to just keep at it. And so like for your, if this is your first project and I that's the assumption we're making here, Andy, is that, you know, to launch and say, Hey, fund this and help me get this thing edited and stuff like that's not, that would not be the way I would try to make an introduction to writing. You know, if you're serious about a novel and also like finish this thing well before you even try to kickstart to, I mean, that's it. Some people look at this like, man, I want to finish this thing. I go launch this thing Kickstarter, then maybe I can make some money from doing that to, you know, you're going to make far less than you realize, you know, Kickstarter is about getting the thing out there, not providing you necessarily an income to do this sort of thing. And the amount of money and effort you're going to put into something to get it going can be a lot. Like, you know, we launched Magic Club, on, you know, as a Patreon. And we know, my buddy Jordan and I know with with that is, this is a show that we're going to keep keep pushing out every week on YouTube, keep doing and doing and doing and doing. It's going to be a slow growth as we build up our Patreon supporters on that. It is not like, hey, we're going to launch this thing and then overnight, you know, we're going to have a thousand people supporting this thing. Um, you know, we're getting, you know, you know, slow trickle of people as they do it. And then they see, hear about the secret sessions, you know, then every periodically we make a secret session available and people go, cause that's the thing is like the really coolest part about it. You don't get to see until you try it, but we're periodically like, you know, say, Hey, take a look. So it's a slow thing. It's a slow thing, but we're cool at that. Cause it's just, we just love talking about magic. So it's a fun thing. Yeah. So we have another one. So that's our, I would say, look, I don't know the ink shares is the answer, but I will tell you what, like I am, I am, I don't know if proud is the right word, but I'm so excited that we know JF, that watching what JF yeah. has been doing, hearing about JF's success is is wonderful. It is absolutely wonderful because he's a guy that he is a very smart guy, but he was asking questions and and just not to say, oh, we told him what to do. You know, we, we gave him our thoughts and then he did what he needed to do. And sometimes he took his advice and he did his own things. And he's in a great position. This is a guy that's like, you know, Akiva Goldsman is like, you know, as high level as you can get and to, you know, to have, you know, have a book before it even gets released to be able to sell the rights to something like that. That's awesome. That is just, I, and you know, he started with ink shares. I think that, I think that book was an ink shares project. I'm just, uh, I love the fact that he's, yeah, he, won, he won the, the sword and laser contest, I believe. Yeah, exactly. Won the sword and laser with that. And you love the fact that he's part of our community. And, and I would, I would say that, you know, within our own subset, from what I've done, what JF has done, what Tom has done, we're people who follow the same sort of models and do some similar stuff, and we share information. We're super supportive of each other. I don't think it's a coincidence. I don't think it's no. a coincidence. And, and, and by the way, one, one last thing on this, and this is more of a Kickstarter process thing. Like, you could make the argument that for the if the contender was $100,000 less successful – and we got a little bit more of a of a bunny hill uh, challenge of of trying to to print them, and so we were looking at a much smaller print run, and we were looking at a much smaller, uh, uh, you know, uh, 
shipment that we had to make just for backers that now for action news, now that we understood what the whole production process is, that we would have made money more so on, on, on the contender. And we would now have learned those lessons for action news, which is all to say that we had no idea how to produce a game. You know, we, we did our reading and we talked to people, but ultimately we had never committed money to doing anything like this before. And holy crap, did we pay a price for making decisions that we, you know, will make different this, this time. If you're looking to raise money for professionally editing or raise money for an artist to do your, your, your cover art, man, I could not recommend highly enough. If you've never done it before, just wade into those waters and understand what's good and what's bad. Cause the last thing you want to do is raise money and pay a bunch of money for something that might not be exactly what you want, you know, and might not be worth it. And, and that's, that's a huge, huge, huge lesson. And that lesson can be had a lot cheaper than, than just going out and raising money for it. Yeah. Yeah. Now look in the, uh, in our chat section here, uh, uh, Tonda Gossa is like, Hey, life engineered a great book. And so it's like, JF between the sword and laser crowd and our weird things crowd and night attack and diamond club and all that, you know, was able to build up an audience and get support for what he was doing. So you have, you have a great audience here and you have, look at what, look at what worked for Tom, look what worked for JF, look what worked for me. And that's, and I, you know, when we started figuring out what I was going to do and Justin, and I would strategize, we looked at Scott Sigler. We looked at what Scott was doing, and Scott was doing podcasts. Scott was making his stuff available for people. He was getting it out there, and you know, Scott so hardworking and so brilliant and so talented, you know that, that you know his success is inevitable. Now Scott's New York Times bestseller. Um, that's you know that's inspiring to me, absolutely inspiring. And I'm and just and I'm just I could not. I'm so thrilled to see what. JF has been doing, you know, that's just, is this for us doing the show after things and to talk to people about, Hey, try this, try this, do whatever, and just be able to be a, a small, tiny part of that is a, it is so gratifying. It is so, I can't tell you how gratifying that is, is to watch somebody who asks us questions and then, and he, and I knew he, cause I talked about some stuff and I knew he couldn't say th certain things. So sometimes deals are in place. And then to read about this, it was just like, that's just awesome. Um, Amazing. I'm proud of my boy. I'm proud. Proud. So proud. <laughs> and so it's just it's good just it's very good we i want to have him back now that he can talk about that because that's that's oh that's, totally it's, yeah it should be inspiring to everybody inspiring to everybody out there listening so anyhow got another one this is uh hey guys uh movie leak oh uh this is a and this is a this is an interesting thing that touched upon something i called up justin to talk about Hey guys, this is something you're certainly aware of, but I thought I'd throw it out in, in light of your February 28th discussion of depression and how having friends and feeling part of something can help combat it. My guess is that Diamond Club and your participation in it must serve that function for a lot of people. I would not be surprised in this intent, internet age if Diamond Club is the primary social group source of friends for more than a few members. While you give credit for what it's become to others, it's fair to say that your involvement goes a long way towards giving Diamond Club its clubhouse vibe. It would be easy to limit your involvement to thanks for listening, catch you next week, and go on with your life. 
Sure, there's a momentary incentive to do it. The more people feel connected, the more likely they are to support you. But I bet maintaining not only the amount of time, but the level of authenticity devoted to the community interaction would be nearly impossible with only a dollar sign as motivation. Good job, gentlemen. Enough of that. Now, podcast monkeys, do something funny. This is Mike Range, Movie League Mike. Uh, so. Yeah, it, it, it is curious to me how much of – uh, all of the podcasts, you know, whether it's a night attack or, or weird things, or even to some element, uh, cord killers and so on, how much I, I, I was trying to piece together the appeal of the confessional, right? Like, like the, the, there's a part of this that we do because I, I, I don't know about you guys, but I know that I personally really, really get joy out of telling the truth and in, in a way that you don't get to do in casual, polite conversation with other people. Right. <laughs> uh, do you think that's, that's part of what the appeal I is? I ate all the Skittles at the yeah. party. <laughs> I, 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 I kind of, I, I don't know. Yes. I, I, I know in relationships, like the thing that I, I try to say is like, I just want to be honest in an online everything. I really, I, I'm already full of my own BS enough. I don't need to actively try to do it anymore. I would say that to the question of the value thing, like I've been doing these, you know, as I've been doing, I've been doing periscopes. I'm probably going to be doing probably a lot of them over the next week at the launch of the book. I love them. It is a, it's a fun part of my life because there's a part of me that likes to teach. I, I try to go to, I do, you know, a fair amount of, you know, guest lectures and stuff at colleges and stuff like that, or a small amount and more of that. And I enjoy that. The periscopes thing is fun for me because part of it is, is that like, I know what it's like to be that other person, the other end who has questions or trying to figure something out and to just want to talk to somebody who maybe has a little bit of tiny insight on something, but you know, and say, Hey, well, let me see if I can make a shortcut for you. And just to talk to people, just to have a conversation, just to be there and understand that, you know, have somebody respond to you and make you feel, you know, listened to. Um, you know, I think part of the community has kind of been built on the idea that so many of uh, the the people that make the content, which has grown to be people that were initially just listening, uh, you know, they're it's kind of born out of this idea that that there's a lot of investment heavy media there always has been you know there's there's a lot of like kind of like take and go media like tv tv is a very passive media right uh radio has kind of always been something that is a lot more invested because you take calls you know there's a personal sort of element to it it's long form so you're just spending a lot more time with it and that i think is where kind of the diamond club aesthetic was sort of born out of was you know, I think it, it kind of goes back to that first idea that Brian told me before I even started doing BB live show together was like Brian saying, hey, I, I built I built a studio in my house so I could hang out with my friends without drunk driving home, <laughs> you know, and it's like I think that that's you know, there's there's the you know, that's a flippant, silly kind of one liner. But there's this idea of like, hey. All my friends would hang out online if I said there was a reason to. So let's do it. And that totally uh, 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 you know, created a lot of the DNA of BB Live Show. And, and so much of that energy has kind of exploded outward that, that that's just it's just what it is. You know, it's just the, the 
the way that we kind of want to hang out with everybody. And by we, I mean everybody who wants to put in that extra time to chat because there's a radiating element to that. Like a a place where a a busy place attracts more people that just want to watch, you know, and and that's been our bread and butter. It is a uh, curious artifact of of that of that scheme that I put together <laughs> that uh, that as a result, like both both you guys, uh, like the story of our friendships is more online than offline, like like more of our actual friendship, uh, the good parts and the bad parts, the fights and all that stuff is documented and will live forever on the internet. And that's, that's extraordinary to me in that regard. Uh, and, and if, if, if other people get something out of our oversharing, that's wonderful. But I think that, uh, uh, like you point out, Justin, I think that ultimately, uh, we, you know, we 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 just like hanging out, <laughs> and we're glad I mean, other people. It's funny because you say oversharing, but it's like it, it's not necessarily oversharing to me because I'm the kind of person that talks about that stuff to you and and Andrew, right? Sure, like, sure, sure. So it's like, if anything, like I am holding back on 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 the on on the internet, but it's like that. But the the level of authenticity that I think we've kind of set for ourselves sort of demands that. You know, if they're if, unless it harms somebody else, you might as well talk about it. I mean, what are you holding it back for? Yeah, yeah. I we've I think we've kind of reached the reached the point. And I had to learn this from you guys, which was my self image, and then my it, my image in front of the world and where I was comfortable with and how much because you, you have that. Well, if I'm people see me this way or whatever, they're not going to like me. And then, and if you're an unlikable person, then the answer is they're probably not going to like you. Um, but if you're a person who likes people, you know, and that helps a lot. And then just being more comfortable doing that. And you know, I don't, I don't think I share to the point that you do, Brian, because um, one, I'm not podcasting as much as you do. But I'm trying to be just pretty straightforward and honest about stuff. And and I just want a side note is like. I've been to a few parties where you go to these beautiful houses, you know, where some wealthy person who maybe they're in real estate or multiple businesses or whatever, and you realize the purpose of the party is because they've reached this point where they realize they don't socialize enough. And they reach out to somebody to say, help me throw some parties so I can meet more people because they don't have that. They have money, but they don't have what we have, which is, you know, this community, this party. It's it's, just this nonstop whether we're doing a show and people are going to show up or hop on a live stream or whatever and have, hey, there are people here. We can have conversations. We can hang out. And that's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Gentlemen, you- uh, I asked JF, by the way, if he wants to come do next week's show. He says, oh, can I sit? He's like, said, I told him we're singing his praises. He's like, uh, he's traveling next Monday. Jerk. Oh. Um, hate the guy. Hate the guy. Um, uh <laughs> Uh, how, a, how quickly you lose Andrew's it favor. It turns. It turns. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, I would love to get him on. He's traveling because now he's big shot writer. Oh, Gee. yeah. It's so oh, great. It's so great. Too, too busy for us. Uh, congrats, JF. You're, you yeah, have man. ascended no, to. Brian, we're taking it back now. We're taking it all Valhalla. back. <laughs> uh, hey, I got, I got a pick. I got a pick. Um, Stop me if you've heard this before, but uh, Legion is a really good show. (laughs) 
Uh, I've only I've only watched the uh, first episode, but I watched it twice, and I was utterly surprised at the quaint uh, Wes Anderson like feel that it had. I, I didn't expect that. Uh, it, it, what a curious angle to approach! Like halfway through, you have to remind yourself that oh, this is an X Men property. This is amazing. Can, can I just tell you that, like, what my dream is? My dream is Wes Anderson does the Fantastic Four. Oh, wouldn't that be great? And it could be a period piece set in the 1950s at the height of the Art, Cold War. It could be today, because being Wes Anderson, it would still feel that way. I just, I just, I mean, Wes Anderson's Fantastic Four. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what, like, uh, uh, watching it, uh, watching the first episode twice was a really great trip because. The first time, you know, you watch it and you're lost in the moment and there's things you get and don't get or whatever. The second time, you see the extraordinary attention to detail. Like, during that opening segment, minor spoilers here, uh, in that first three minutes, um, you know, you see baby David. Uh, one of his toys that you see kicked and rolled over is the yellow-eyed man. Uh, and and the, the, there are... So many little things, uh, and, and uh, again, this is in the first five minutes. Uh, when it, when he goes to put the uh, the electric cord around his neck, you see the yellow-eyed man entering the room in the background. Like that attention to detail uh, has me so so excited to experience the rest of this. It is so human. And uh, I, I heard that the character of Lenny was written for a man, but the chick who plays uh, the the role was like, "Don't ch- change a thing. Like, uh, I'll just I'll just be a chick playing this role that was written for a man." It was great. Uh, Aubrey Plaza plays Lenny, and I will say this: continue with that series because it has redefined the way that I look at Aubrey Plaza. Wow, she, this is a career defining role for her because she was so and I don't think, you know, uh, uh, you know, for, for no, uh, uh, you know, for her own making, rather her whole career, you know, her bread and butter was this very deadpan sort of, uh, uh, you know, comedic, very funny kind of routine. And man, uh, she is just on another level, especially these last couple episodes where her character kind of comes a little bit more to the fore, man. There's just a, a raw kind of electricity to her that I did not think was possible having seen her other work. So uh, I, I'm pumped to see where you go with it because it gets very weird. But I will say that there is now that I mean, I'm six episodes in. There's real kind of method to their madness. And they did an episode this last week. That is a kind of episode that, especially for the show that it is, I normally despise because it's sort of filled with very, you know, empty sort of cliches. And I was so thrilled with kind of where it is. It it wound up heading. Uh, it is great, 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 like psychic, magical realism sort of storytelling that like magical realism stuff in general to me works at its best and isn't awful when it takes its rules deadly serious and the rules are introduced and they are set. And if they are run against, there are consequences, hard consequences to uh, uh, violating them. And it's not just, you know, in psychic stories in general, it's just kind of like 
I don't know, squint really, really hard, and then yeah. you get to win. Yeah. And just <laughs> the stories. Well, I'm going to throw out my new manuscript, Squint. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Uh, First JF betrays me, now this. You, you, you've seen this, right, Andrew? No, I have not seen it, okay? You're in for such a treat. Uh, I, I, I've been infected, and I couldn't be happier. It's, it's, it is... Yeah, uh, you know, right. For for as much as you're gushing, I'm very excited for you to see the next couple episodes because uh, they. I, I will say, episodes two and three compared to episode one, where you have a, a fairly structured kind of narrative. Uh, uh, there's a lot of, like, again, it has a universe, but it takes its time, kind of digging it out, and it does not care whether or not you get it until it starts to put its pieces together. Like, uh, I'm, I'm excited to, to see where your patience is tested. Yeah, well, I, I, I guess, I guess um, uh, uh, you, you know, um, uh, I will enjoy the melange of what this flavor ultimately becomes, but the one flavor I've never experienced in an X-Men universe, you know, story is, it's sweet. It's just adorable and these are not things that like that first episode was just so sweet and adorable and i just i will, I will say that is easily aside from a few kind of camera things that are very wes anderson-y that's easily the most wes anderson-y thing that they do i i um, sure 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 well and, and that's i i'm very aware that we are moving into a structured superhero universe right and and i i started the second episode that that you know very clearly lays out the rules it's like okay well let's start building a thing now um but just for like uh, I, as i said on twitter uh i i will put that pilot in in the top 20 of all pilots of anything i've ever seen ever like it it was the the rest of the series can be garbage and i will still be deeply thankful that i saw that pilot uh and uh, because as it is and the promise that it gave and the the flavor that it brought to uh that that genre i i did not expect any of that yeah i'll tell you, it it looks like nothing else on television and by the way fx Holy crap. Yeah, Just man. In the game right now. You know, they got Fargo season three debuting. Oh, this show, uh, The Americans, is it continues to be a, a, an excellent show. They got whatever, you know, Ryan Murphy, you know, squirts out. So that's the the, the feud show, which is a great cast, and I haven't seen any of them. But like they're they're the heavyweight right now, you know? Like in in a time when you know HBO's got Game of Thrones, dot dot dot, uh uh FX is it's it. Yeah. It's it's the champ. Yeah, I uh like I stopped my HBO subscription uh cuz it was just I was just not into it and then I picked up Stars and then watched Ash versus Evil Dead which I loved. Um and then FX with like Fargo season 3 starting up like Fargo Fargo 1 and 2 are so 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 good so good like i'm excited about legion you know and like and i, and I guess it kind of makes up for like i was so looking forward to iron fist but like oh man that buzz that that anti-buzz <laughs> I've, yeah. I've i've never felt a black hole of enthusiasm uh strike me as hard as uh as as the iron fist anti-buzz has yeah yeah you know and and part of it is i think there was a general 
the first Marvel thing to suck, like outright just be bad, was going to just get they, – they were going to inherit a lot of tech debt of like people that like liked stuff but had problems with it. You know, and and I think it's kind of a commentary on like these Marvel kids have gotten a skate too far. Uh, so I think that there's definitely elements to it that it probably didn't necessarily deserve. But I mean, from everything that you read, it's just kind of you know boring, pointless. Well, that's what that's what I hear is that it's uh, it's trying to do two separate things and by doing neither one very well like the the combat isn't extraordinary and the uh, human drama is is not remarkable and as which result, is a shame because physically you would think that Iron Fist is probably the most aesthetically pleasing action thing right because he's got like glowing hands yeah like that like, kind of looks like a rave I mean like a rave where someone's getting their ass if, kicked if, like, if, if, if that is the case uh, I mean you gotta you gotta kind of set the the blame down at the execution level, you know, it seems like, yeah, who knows? And I, I think that, I think it's got, yeah, I have not seen, I think the challenge that dealing with is the, you know, stop me if you've heard this before, you know, the, 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 the long thought lost son of a multimillionaire family returns home to a troubled city, having been trained in some special form of art or whatever, you know, which works great for arrow, you know, works great for arrow. And it's like, that's, that's a, that trope in of itself is problematic because it's so, you know, it's Iron Man. It's been, you know, it's Batman. It's like, yeah. Yeah, it's like we we that and I don't know how much it dwells on that, but it's kind of like you watch the sort of like the, the the previews like, hey, I'm returned and we thought you're dead. And it's like, eh, it's, you know, we've seen really great versions of that. And, you know, and I, 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 I listen, I loved love Daredevil season two. Uh, I never finished Jessica Jones and I haven't watched uh, um, Luke Cage. Luke Cage. Yeah. Um, so I have. No, I, I, I kind of was sort of like, I, I don't know. There's so much good stuff out there now. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think, listen, what, what Jessica Jones, I think was good. Uh, uh, it didn't have great combat, but it had better psychology. There was a little bit more meat on the bone in terms of who she was as a character. Luke Cage is probably the best first half of any of the Marvel shows. In my opinion, uh, it, it takes a very, they take a big swing, and in my opinion, it is it is a strike instead of a hit. But you can judge yourself about halfway through the season. Um, this, I don't know. I, I just, if the buzz isn't on it, then it's like, uh, that's fine. I can wait for the defenders. And I assume he's Iron Fist. He's going to He's, he's gonna got a fist of iron. going to punch him up. Hey, yeah. look at me. I'm back from... Oh. Oh, somebody uh, put on Twitter that they would love the the the, the version of this of, of that story where it is the wealthy, you know, uh, uh, Chinese uh, uh, heir who crashes over Texas and learns to be this like like insane gunslinger and then has to go back to like 
Shanghai to, you know, rid that his family. That would be amazing. I'm go on. Yeah. Go yeah. On. That, I would uh, love to see that subverted. That would be so awesome. Which which by the way, it's it's great to uh that's one of the things that's great about the expanse is that um uh, uh you know, they because there's really only three racial types. There's there's earthers, uh, belters and Martians. Um the the you know what we think of in in 21st century geopolitical politics as various ethnicities is less significant than their alignment uh, in 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 the geopolitical of of the future. Uh, so as a result, it's great to see uh, you know uh, prominent Asians and and uh, 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 I don't know. It's 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 great to see a twist on on all that stuff. Yeah. All right. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta go. I'm up uh, hard out here. Oh, <laughs> I saw, I saw you doing the cut the neck thing, and I thought you were like, don't mention the Asians. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I'm just, I'm like, I'm literally into, into Hotline Monday. Okay, time, all right. So. <laughs> Gentlemen, it's been after. The Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program.